Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report vaccine segment. This is Dr. Lee for America, and I'm here with Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe, one of our core vaccine report teams, cellular and molecular biologist, virologist, immunologist. So we're going to be discussing today what some of the brand new research has just revealed BioNTech's new technology that they are developing to attack yet another part of our immune system, one of our critical functions, actually. And Dr. Gilthorpe is going to explain just how all of this works. But now the vaccine manufacturers with the gene therapy technology that they're assaulting us with are now going after T-cell immunity in our bodies, they've already, in the COVID shots, used the spike protein and gone after genetic alteration in our immune response via the antibody pathway. And in fact, by injecting synthetic non-self, non-body protein, this ramps up the, uh, the immune system to attack it. And that's one of the reasons you've heard Dr. Yeadon mention many, many times. This is one of the reasons that the autoimmune disorders are so rampant in people who've gotten the COVID shots, not to mention the lipid nanoparticle technology and the misfolded proteins we call prions that are leading to neurodegenerative disorders. Well, now in stunning information that Dr. Gilthorpe is going to bring us, BioNTech just published in the journal Cell, the E version online just this past week and the scheduled print version, May 25th about their newest technology assaulting the immune system. So Dr. Gilthorpe, would you explain for our listeners just exactly what the difference is with viral illnesses in particular between antibody response and T-cell response and what is important to us to understand about why it's so critical that BioNTech is now targeting our T-cell immune function. 
Yes, Dr. D, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> um, I would just like to say that I'm not an, well, I'm not an immunologist. I have some understanding of immunology, but, um, but anyway, um, yeah, so when it comes to our bodies experiencing a new protein that we've never seen before, we, our immune systems will mount basically two different types of response. The one is a B cell response where we will make antibodies uh, or antibodies are selected that bind to that protein and will, you know, either neutralize it or, or enable the body to take it out of the system. And that's through things called B cells, which produce antibodies. Um, and the other one is a T cell response. So T cells, if, if a virus has infected a cell, it's been produced within that cell and the cell will produce small pieces of protein from the virus and put them on its surface. And if a T cell comes past and recognizes this uh, foreign protein on the surface, it will attack the cell and kill it because it thinks that it's virally infected. And this is also quite a powerful mechanism uh, by which our body takes care of, you know, uh, precancerous cells, for example. So if we lose T cell immunity to some aspect in some aspects, then, then that's when cancer can, you know, increase. Uh, because it's a surveillance mechanism for the body to take care of cells which are, are mutant in some way or, 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 you know, not behaving normally. So if, if you experience a new virus, what will happen is the virus will start to, to grow in the body, to proliferate, and cells will produce that until enough T cells mount a response against those virally infected cells, and then they start to kill them. So now the virus isn't being produced anymore and their viral load will start to go down. And then usually the antibody response comes in somewhat later uh, because it's not that as important to, uh, for a viral infection. Uh, the T cell re uh, response is much more important. Um, so then the next time you experience that virus in the future, your T cell response will kick in so much faster. And you, you might even not know that you, you, know, you had a viral infection. You, you probably clear it much more quickly. And this is what happens with coronaviruses we're continually exposed to as, you know, the common cold. Um, so that's why we don't usually get very sick when we get a common cold, because we already have a lot of T cell immunity to, to that <clears throat> particular virus. So what happened with these new mRNA vaccines against the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 was that they didn't really generate a very strong T cell response. They made a lot of antibodies. Those antibodies didn't last in the system very long. And that's why suddenly we all had to get boosted every six months. Uh, so basically they turned a, a, an eminent failure into a repeated injection. Um, <clears throat> but then these variants came along because the vaccine antibodies didn't stop infection. Um, then people started to produce new variants in their vaccinated cells, which then could spread to vaccinated people because they weren't immune at all to these new variants that were being generated in people that already had the antibodies against that particular viral strain. Um, so that's you know probably how Omicron arose. Omicron spread very wildly through the world and effectively immunized almost everybody against SARS-CoV-2 viruses. Um, so the question then remains, you know, why would anyone need an, another uh, vaccination against the virus? Because they've already uh, experienced it and generated a very nice T cell response of their own to the proteins that are in the virus. So 
I just saw this paper came out this week or it's coming out in the next week or so. Uh, and it's in a very eminent journal called Cell, which in my early days was actually, you know, it probably was the most premier research journal in the world, apart from Nature, which was one of the other ones, or Science, which is one of the American ones. Uh, and actually, my PhD research advisor was the European editor for Cell. So we used to read and get the latest scoops very early in the lab because he was the one that was processing all the papers that were going to be published or, or sending them out to review. Anyway, so BioNTech have published this paper in Cell, which I, you know, is highly unusual anyway, because it's a company publishing a paper about a new drug or new mRNA vaccine that they've got already in clinical trials. So for the way I read this, this is an advertisement. You know, this isn't a properly peer-reviewed uh, article that would normally pub be published in a journal like Cell. Um, but what they've done then to try and make the mRNA platform better for COVID or for SARS-CoV-2, because it wasn't exactly that successful, it didn't stop transmission, it didn't stop severe injury or death, perhaps in a very small percentage of very vulnerable people. Um, they've taken a new approach where they've put several proteins from SARS-CoV-2 into an mRNA molecule, and now they're going to inject people. Well, they've started clinical trials, so they're testing it in 200 and, 200 and something healthy volunteers um, to express several proteins from SARS-CoV-2 in cells to try and stimulate this T cell response, which would be more, more of an efficient way of clearing SARS-CoV-2, so a more effective treatment, let's say, or, or protection for, for people if, well, if they'd never experienced the virus. But as I said, almost everyone on the planet probably has experienced the virus several times now. Um, yeah, so that's the basic idea. We can go into some into why that's not a good idea, I think, um, afterwards. But essentially, yeah, BioNTech is now using cell as their means to get data out about their new mRNA vaccines and new platforms before they've even been tested properly. And selling this is a massive breakthrough, um, which I see, you know, purely as advertising. So they really are violating all of the normal research ethical standards that the testing would be complete in the phase one clinical trials, the data analyzed, look for safety issues, and then prepare the research paper and have it peer reviewed before acceptance into a journal such as what used to be the quality of cell. Is that right? Yeah, Dr. Lee. I mean, I, I mean, normally a, a biotech company, you know, a pharma company wouldn't publish in a journal like this because once you do publish um, in a peer-reviewed journal, then all the materials that are in that paper should be open source for anyone that wants to use them. So uh, another researcher could now write to BioNTech and say, hey, I would like to get some of that mRNA that you've just published in your uh, new study. Um, and, and in theory, they should they would be required to give it, I mean, not legally required, but it, it's considered good practice that you make all reagents available um, to somebody else whenever you've published them. So it, this is very, very unusual that a pharma company would, would publish in a major journal, in any peer-reviewed journal of something that they would then, you know, want to either patent or maintain secret by not 
publishing or not not letting the information out on into the um open source basically so I, for me this so is in other words the methodology was was not disclosed um yeah the methodology is disclosed Dr. Lee. i didn't i haven't read the paper in complete detail so i don't know if they actually put the sequence of the uh, new rna out there they they provide a map of it you know a schematic picture but they don't actually say what the actual sequence is i i'll i can see i'll have to check that another time actually i mean they do say in the at the end of the article that anyone that wants to access to these materials will be able to apply for them but they'll have to do it through an mta a material transfer agreement with biontech so that will come with all sorts of um restrictions that mean you won't be able to work with this freely perhaps means that if you want to publish something using that that they you would need to um send any article to them to be pre-screened before you submitted it for, for publication there will definitely be strings attached to that um but what i see this being used for is 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 you know there was so much criticism of uh biontech and moderna with the mrna vaccines before we know that the trial data tried to be kept secret for 75 years or so. Uh, and when that trial data has been reanalyzed by independent researchers, they found enormous problems with it, showing that the um, conclusions made by Pfizer BioNTech were false, uh, you know, about um, uh, risk reduction, about side effects um, on children or, you know, birth, um, pregnancy, and things like that. So, I think what they're doing now is trying to get a publication out beforehand to try and say, oh, look, you know, we published this. This is all uh, above board. But I mean, it's clearly not. It's it's um, it's very unusual to have. I've never seen a paper from a drug company released about a new medicine before the medicine has been released. Um, it's only in phase one clinical trials. Well, and I've I've certainly never seen that in my career. No. So I, I'm strictly looking at the medical journals. Now, I was not focused on looking at the pure research journals such as Cell because that was a little um, out of the realm of my practice in taking care of patients. But uh, all the way around, everything that's been happening is so highly unusual and dangerous violations of the normal safety and evaluation process that we've come accustomed to think is the way to do it safely and ethically for people. I mean, here are these people having their T-cell immunity played with in this phase one trial. They're healthy volunteers, you said. And I wonder if it's even been disclosed to them what all the potential risks are of messing with genetic material with your T cells. Yeah. And what are what about some of the concerns about that we've been hearing about with prions and neurodegenerative disorders? Mm. Could you comment on that and why that's a risk here as well? Yes. Yeah, happily, Dr. Lee. I mean, what's happening here is new technologies are being pushed out under the mRNA platform 
uh, went while we already know, you know, the first iterations of this have been extremely toxic and are associated with an enormous number of side effects. Uh, but now new versions are being pushed out at the speed of science um, and they haven't been properly checked for, you know, they're very complicated medicines, I think, as Hedley Reese has taken up um, these mRNA vaccines. We don't really know what's in the vials, to be honest. Uh, we know there's a lot of um, the RNA that's not full length, that's small fragments. Uh, we don't know what they contain but we know the quality isn't very good. And, and now there's an even more complex molecule being produced, which has got four or five different uh, proteins in. Uh, so one thing that was very unusual, SARS-CoV-2, I think have been the neurological side effects. Um, it's clear that SARS-CoV-2 seems to cross the blood-brain barrier, which is pretty unusual, I think, for a coronavirus, at least for a regular one. And people have experienced a lot of neurological side effects. And then the mRNA vaccines have created even more because the mRNA LMPs don't stay in the arm where they're meant to. They diffuse around the body. They can cross the blood-brain barrier and get into the brain. And the spike protein itself is an amyloidogenic protein, which means that it can form a strange conformation, a strange shape, which then again get other proteins in the body to do the same thing. And these are highly associated with uh, diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, motor neuron disease, um, et cetera. So I, I think some of the side effects that people are seeing after the vaccine, like brain fog, uh, high incidence of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, uh, potentially ALS, is because these uh, the mRNA produced proteins are inducing amyloid in the body. At least this is an, you know, a significant risk and it's just not been studied. Well, there's so much of all of this that was never studied. And you made the comment that where they are bringing out new technologies at the speed of science. Actually, I would comment that it does not appear to be at the normal speed of science which is a stepwise logical progression with ethical and various trial constraints built into it. They are just doing what someone might describe on a shooting range as fire aim ready. They are not doing ready aim fire as the proper shooting sequence would be, they're just shooting off new technology as fast as they can without any consideration for what the damage may be to the human genome, the human body, and the long-range consequences. That's how I see it from as a practicing physician. It's devastating. Yeah, you're quite right, Dr. Leah. I'm sorry, I was being sarcastic when I said at the speed of science. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, nothing has been done rigorously. They're rushing out new technologies into people without um, informed consent, uh, without knowing that people are being part of a, you know, a, a large research project, and they are testing things on people. Uh, and people are getting very sick from that. And, and they're being allowed to do it um, you know, this is just, it, it's, it's outrageous. Uh, it's never happened before in the modern, in modern society. 
uh, certainly since World War Two. I mean, this is the kind of thing the Nazis were doing on people, testing medicines, um, you know, and that's why the Nuremberg Code was set up to prevent this from happening. But now it's happening. Um, yeah, out in the open without challenge. Uh, from the authorities, at least. Well, and I think tragically that that was why I came back to what you said, because I thought you were being sarcastic. But a lot of times lay people don't realize when we are saying something tongue in cheek that is the opposite of what is normally done because they're not involved in clinical trials for the most part. And and it's it's just it's absolutely devastating. And I I would go so far as to say this was what Nuremberg was set up to prevent, which were crimes against humanity in World War II. And now we're seeing that none of the countries that signed on to the Nuremberg Code of Ethics and preventing experimentation on human beings as a result of the ghastly and heinous Nazi experiments on live human beings. All of that protection has just been totally thrown out the window by every country that signed on to the Nuremberg Code. We don't have any that are honoring it that I can see. No. You're exactly right, Dr. Lee. I mean, it, it and it, it's getting worse. I mean, um, at the G7 meeting in the UK in 2021, I think it was in Cornwall. So more or less, I think UK was still in lockdown, but they eased restrictions or opened them up in order to have that G7 meeting. And at that meeting, it was decided that the UK would take the lead in um a new initiative to get vaccines from or, or medicines from concept to approval in 100 days. Uh, and as far as I know, I mean, that's still ongoing. It's I, I'm pretty sure that when the, the next pandemic comes, uh, we're being warned that there will be one. I think they'll try and lock out these new vaccines in 100 days. Now, that isn't even time to test them in healthy population for side effects. Um, but they will say, well, we've already tested the platform and it, it's quite safe um, when you, we know that it's not. But, uh, you know, the MHRA, the UK um, regulator, has taken the lead on this. But I think once they've done it, then it'll be relatively easy for the FDA or the EMA to say, oh, well, but the UK MHRA has approved it. So this is one of John Boris Johnson's last uh, great... Um, uh, parting shots to humanity was bringing in this idea of uh, 100 days from medicine to approval. So they're going to run phase one, two, three clinical trials simultaneously, which never happened before. You would always have to run first phase in healthy people. Is it safe or not? And then you do phase two where you use increasing doses. And then phase three, you test it in uh, control and sick groups and see what it actually works or not and they're going to do these three things simultaneously and that will that just makes medicines which are much less safe um, and will do much more harm I, I just think it's absolutely appalling that they are talking about 
and rolling out new medicines from start to approval in a hundred days. That's only 10 days longer than three months. And for Boris Johnson, who has no medical background, no scientific background, he's a politician, to set this up and unleash it on his whole country and leading the world is truly so shocking. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. The audacity, hubris and arrogance of thinking you can do that and to hell with the consequences on human lives that you're affecting around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that this is being run as a political operation. It's definitely not being run as a, a health operation. It's definitely not medical um, because, you know, COVID-19 is, is now no longer a public health emergency, um, even if it ever was or should have been. Um, you know, the WHO has recently, the last week or so, now declared it over. And they also did the same for monkeypox. So I don't think they've got any public health emergencies of international concern open now. Um, but well, we still have existing public health emergencies in the United States. Monkeypox okay. is still on the books. And Marburg was declared the Marburg provisions of the PrEP Act were invoked at the very end of 2020 and per perhaps early into 2021. But the provisions of the Marburg public health emergency were invoked under the PREP Act, which released the money and they've already started building quarantine centers in many states in the United States. Now, I will say that the majority of the American public doesn't know that, even though we've been working hard to bring that to people's attention. Mm. But, but that does exist. And there is an experimental vaccine for Marburg, not FDA approved, but there, there is an experimental one. So mm. all of our indicators suggest that Marburg is the one that they're planning to formally declare as a public health emergency through the World Health Organization as soon as they get through this tyrannical takeover that's going on in May with the WHO vote and member nation vote to defer to the WHO for all public health emergencies. I suspect that if that passes and if the US does not exit the WHO, that we'll see the Marburg announcement coming up shortly in June or July. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think, I, I definitely think we're building for something, Dr. Lee. Um, the WHO removed both COVID-19 fake and that's public health emergency of international concern and monkeypox in within a week of one another last week. Yes, so and, clearly and they just, have something else planned. They, they yeah, would not so. do that if they didn't have something else planned. And no. I think all of that was designed as a fake 
from the beginning, even though that's the sound of the initials, P-H-E-I-C, I think it's correct when said phonetically, but also I think it is a faint, F-E-I-N-T, to deflect the public and make the public think they have backed off. I think this is a ruse. Yeah, you could well be right, Dr. Lee. I, I, I would just encourage people to start, you know, that keep their eye on different countries building the narrative for a new pandemic now. Because I noticed just yesterday the Swedish head of the public health service, which is not government, it's actually, um, it's a, well, it is a government-funded institution, but it's separate from the parliament. Um, but she um, just announced uh, that we, Sweden needs to start preparing for the next pandemic um, to look over the, the laws to make sure that they could quickly close down things in a, in a legal way, and also to make sure that health data is connected, uh, collected more quickly uh, in order to make much quicker decisions about uh, how to deal with the next pandemic. So, I mean, you know, this is outrageous. Um, how do we Well, let's talk pandemic? more in the second half about another outrageous thing going on. And this is an example of the countries starting to telegraph their plans. America in the world listening. Please pay attention to our warnings. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report vaccine segment with Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe from Sweden. And we will be right back after the break. Check out our website at www.truthforhealth.org and listen to us every day at whistleblowerreports.org, Cloud Hub, America Out Loud Talk Radio, and our Rumble channel. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome to the second half of the Whistleblower Report vaccine segment with Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe from Sweden and your host, Dr. Lee for America, practicing physician in the U.S. Well, now that you've heard the shocking news about Big Pharma and BioNTech in particular, new assault on another aspect of our immune system through cellular immunity or the T-cell pathway. Now we want to share with you additional concerns about the way Big Pharma is now pushing the mRNA vaccine technology into our food animals. And I'm going to play a 19-minute clip by Roman Balkanov, who is a reporter and rate and a video host on Epoch TV with the program Facts Matter. And he is going to be explaining to us about the push towards mRNA vaccines into our food animals, that's cattle, pork, sheep, chickens, any foods that you're used to buying at the grocery store are being vaccinated with mRNA technology. And that is in development. It has been used in pork 
since 2018 without any transparency for the American people. So let's listen to what Roman presents in his program. And we'll provide a link to the whole program through Epoch News, Epoch Times News, and Epoch TV. Pork, mRNA vaccines appear to have already been on the market since at least 2018 through a vaccine platform called Sequemity. Over on their website, they promised RNA-based customized vaccine prescriptions to pig farmers. It's not clear how many pig farmers are actually currently using these mRNA shots, but what is clear is that they are on the market already. Regardless, what we did not cover in part one is the flip side of the coin, meaning what happens to a person, to a human being, who eats meat that's been treated with these mRNA-based vaccine technologies. And that question actually brings us into a brand new type of territory, what the quote-unquote experts refer to as edible vaccine technology, which has gotten a lot more advanced than you've probably realized. Now, to start with, it is well known in both the relevant scientific community as well as in the farming community that after vaccinating an animal, there's a certain period of time that you have to wait before slaughtering it. This period of time is what's known as the withdrawal time. For a more comprehensive definition, we'll look at a presentation that was given by the USDA back in the year 2014. You can see it up on your screen. It was titled Vaccination for Contagious Diseases. And on slide number 14 of their presentation, the USDA specifically addressed the issue of withdrawal times. On the slide itself, they just define what a withdrawal time is. But in the note that was attached to the slide, they went a little deeper. Here's what they wrote, quote, when used in food animals, both modified live vaccines and killed vaccines are subject to mandatory withdrawal periods prior to slaughter for human consumption. Animals may not be sent to market until the withdrawal time has elapsed. During the mandatory withdrawal time, vaccinated animals or products from vaccinated animals may not enter the food chain. The withdrawal time is determined by the country in which the vaccine is licensed and stated in the product license. Modified live vaccines replicate in the host, and during the withdrawal time, live vaccine strain virus may be found in animal products or tissues. Animal products from killed vaccines do not pose an infectious risk, but withdrawal times are imposed to allow the vaccine substance to clear from the tissues. Withdrawal times are intended to ensure meat, milk, or other products for human consumption from the vaccinated animal are free from vaccine substance or vaccine organism contamination. Okay, so as you can clearly see, the USDA recognizes that there is a certain period of time post-normal vaccination that you have to wait before slaughtering your animal for human consumption. If you don't wait, then the vaccine substance might wind up in the meat, the milk, or whatever other derivative came from the animal. However, notice something. That slide from the USDA covered only live vaccines and killed vaccines, what are colloquially known as typical traditional vaccines. They specifically did not cover mRNA-based vaccines, likely because that slide was from nine years ago. But having said that, it appears that the exact same standard applies to mRNA vaccines as well, evidenced by the fact that when you look at Merck's authorization for their mRNA vaccine for pigs, well, it specifically comes with instructions telling the farmer to not vaccinate the pig within 21 days before slaughtering them. And so then, right from the get-go, here's the picture that's taking shape. Traditional vaccines that are injected into animals can wind up in both the milk as well as the meat that we eat. Farmers and scientists know this and are therefore instructed to not vaccinate their livestock too close to the date of slaughter. 
and the exact same appears to apply to mRNA vaccines as well. And so on the, sur on the surface of it, you might say, that's great. These mRNA vaccines work just like other regular vaccines. And so as long as you wait a little bit, they will just leave the system and everything will be fine. In fact, many of the quote unquote fact checkers, they say exactly that. However, I would like to point something out, which is that is just an assumption. My research team and I looked into it. And as far as we can find, there are currently zero, zero peer reviewed studies looking into the transmissibility of mRNA vaccines from livestock to humans via either milk or meat. It is just assumed for whatever reasons, it's assumed that that's how it works. However, having said that, there's another type of study that we did come across, a study that came from all places, communist China. And what it found was that Chinese scientists were able to successfully load up cow's milk with mRNA and have it be absorbed by the gastrointestinal tract of the recipient. Here's in fact how Dr. Peter McCullough gave a high level overview of what the Chinese study found during a recent interview. The reason why we're concerned is the Chinese recently have demonstrated by a paper by Zhang and colleagues that they can get a limited segment of messenger RNA across the GI tract of mammals by putting it in a milk bubble, uh, an exosome of cow's milk. And Dr. McCullough was not kidding in that clip. Chinese scientists were looking for ways to administer oral mRNA vaccines against COVID to the entire Chinese population. And after much trial and error, well, they made some progress. The Chinese study that Dr. McCullough referenced in that interview, you can see it up on screen for yourself, is titled, quote, an oral vaccine for SARS-CoV-2 RBD mRNA bovine milk-derived exosomes induces a neutralizing antibody response in vivo. And what these Chinese researchers were able to successfully do is to load up cow's milk with a specific mRNA sequence, administer that milk to mice, and then have the mice create spike protein antibodies within their own system, just as if they received the shot. Here's a summary of their research. Quote, these Chinese researchers have demonstrated that a shortened mRNA code of 675 base pairs could be loaded into phospholipid packets called exosomes derived from milk, and then using that same milk be fed to mice. The mice's gastrointestinal tract absorbed the exosomes, and the mRNA must have made it into the bloodstream and lymphatic tissue because antibodies were produced in fed mice against SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, the receptor binding domain. Now, just to pause here for a super quick moment, this is a shocking development to say the least. These mice were literally administered an mRNA vaccine, which elicited a response in the form of them developing antibodies, not through a shot in the arm, but rather just by drinking an mRNA-infused milk. The article then continues by imagining where this technology can go into the future. Quote, from a scientific perspective, these experimental steps taken by the Chinese were a stunning success. However, given the damage mRNA vaccines have generated in terms of injuries, disabilities, and deaths, this data raises some considerable ethical issues. The COVID States Project has shown that 25% of Americans were successful in remaining unvaccinated. This group would have strong objections to mRNA in the food supply particularly if it was done surreptitiously or with minimal labeling or warnings. Children could be targeted with easily administered oral vaccine dosing or administered oral vaccine dosing or potentially get mRNA through milk at school lunches and other unsupervised meals. And that is frankly not a stretch in the least. We already live in a world wherein our food supply is manipulated by federal health agencies in order for them to be able to influence the population at large. A great example is when you have cereals, as well as other types of grains, be fortified with things like folic acid. Usually in the ingredients label, when you look, they refer to it as being quote unquote enriched. They add folic acid to reduce things like spina bifida. 
Another example is the addition of fluoride in our public drinking water to supposedly prevent tooth decay. And so is it really a stretch to imagine a world where this mRNA milk technology exists, another pandemic rolls along, and the government, instead of taking the, you can say, messy approach of mandating vaccines to whoever they can, instead, just put the vaccines into our food and then give us two simple options, either eat the vaccine food or starve. Now, that scenario is, of course, getting a little bit into the realm of speculation, and so you can decide for yourself whether that would actually happen or not. The only thing that I'd like to get across is the fact that scientists are, in fact, moving this direction. And by the way, I should mention that it's not only Chinese scientists who are doing this. For instance, there was a recent profile of a team of researchers out in California who are studying the potential of leafy greens to become something like what they refer to as homegrown mRNA vaccine factories. Specifically, this right here is Mr. Juan Pablo Giraldo. He's an associate professor at the University of California's Department of Botany and Plant Sciences. And when he was describing his work that him and his team are engaged in, well, here's how he succinctly summed it up. Quote, my lab is aiming to create this mixture of engineered materials. We call them nanomaterials because they are very tiny that can help us deliver the genetic information with instructions to create mRNA vaccines in specific plant cell structures that can do that, called chloroplasts. What we're doing in this research is basically creating something that can be as simple as applying foliar spray to the surface of a leafy green like lettuce or spinach and then eating it in your salad. And this is not just some small pet project of his. His laboratory recently received a $500,000 grant from the National Science Foundation in order to study these plant-based mRNA, you can call them factories. And specifically, over on their website, the goal of the project that they're funding, that they gave half a million dollars to, is threefold. Quote, show that DNA containing the mRNA vaccines can be successfully delivered into the part of plant cells where it will replicate, demonstrating the plants can produce enough mRNA to rival a traditional shot, and finally, determining the right dosage. However, putting it into more human terms that are easier to understand, here is how the lead researcher describes what they're trying to achieve. Quote, ideally, a single plant would produce enough mRNA to vaccinate a single person. We are testing this approach with spinach and lettuce and have long-term goals of people growing it in their own gardens. Farmers could also eventually grow entire fields of it. And by the way, it is really worth highlighting that the idea of developing an edible vaccine that's delivered through food is not even really a new concept. For instance, up on your screen is an article that was published in the Scientific American magazine back in the year 2000. That article, it not only lays out the supposed benefits of incorporating vaccines into things like fruits and vegetables, but it also includes this very handy infographic detailing how the process would actually work. Essentially, that process would involve taking a leaf, slicing it in half, and then putting it into a solution of bacteria which carry two specific things, both an antigen gene, which is the vaccine, as well as an antibiotic-resistant gene, meaning that at this point, the leaf had two things added into it, a vaccine portion and another part which made it resistant to antibiotics. Then, once the leaf was impregnated with the solution, it was then exposed to an antibiotic which would effectively kill all the cells that lacked these new genes, meaning that the only cells that would remain in this leaf would be the ones that were successfully altered. Then those surviving genes would multiply and grow themselves into entire plants, which are naturally loaded with these antigen vaccine genes. Looking at it, it's actually a pretty clever process. And also it's not theoretical because just six years after that article was published, a company called Dow AgroSciences, they received approval for their very own plant-derived vaccine. For reference, that specific vaccine was for chickens to inoculate them against something called Newcastle disease. That was the first of its kind. 
But since then, since the year 2006, many different edible vaccines have been developed and are on the market, including for measles, cholera, foot and mouth disease, as well as hepatitis B, C, and E. In fact, take a look at this study right here. It was published on the NIH website in the year 2020, and it's titled Edible Vaccines, Promises and Challenges. And according to that study, here's what the researchers believe is the real impediment that's stopping mass adoption of edible vaccines. Here's what they believe is the real impediment. Quote, at present, edible vaccines are developed for veterinary and human use. But the main challenge faced by edible vaccines is its acceptance by the population so that it is necessary to make aware of the society about its use and benefits. When compared to other traditional vaccines, edible vaccines are cost-effective, efficient, and safe. I repeat, the main challenge faced by edible vaccines is not technological limitations, but rather it is the acceptance by the population, or lack thereof. Interestingly, this study then goes on to list some of the major types of plants that are currently being used as, you can say, vaccine models. Up on your screen, you can see these include things like potatoes, bananas, tobacco, alfalfa, carrots, tomatoes, lettuce, as well as rice. And interestingly, in regards to rice, here's what the NIH paper writes, quote, rice is the other plant species used for development of edible vaccines. Advantages over other plants is the fact that rice is commonly used in baby food and high expression of antigen. And so if somebody tells you that there is not a concerted effort right now to get vaccines into our food supply, well, they are either unaware of all the scientific literature and the scientific progress that's been made in this direction over the past 20 years or so, or they are aware of it, and perhaps they have an ulterior motive. Regardless, that is the situation as it currently stands. Right now, there are certain livestock animals that are receiving mRNA-based vaccines. Very likely in the very near future, there will be more animals that will be receiving these mRNA vaccines. They are claimed to be safe, despite the fact that there are no studies indicating whether or not these mRNA vaccine fragments pass from animals to humans via things like meat and milk. And all the while, there's actually a pretty concerted large push towards developing edible vaccines that can be delivered to the entire population through things like milk, fruits, and vegetables. And all the while, if you dare to talk about any of this publicly, you, my friend, will be labeled as a conspiracy theorist. That is, if nothing else, very cool. If you'd like to go deeper into anything that we discussed in today's episode, I'll throw all the links to my research down into the description box below this video for you to check out. You can click on any one of those links and go deeper into the studies for yourself. And then lastly, I'd like to mention something a bit in passing, which has to do why we build this Epic TV platform in the first place. Because you see, I would love, love to publish this episode on YouTube. That way, tens of millions of people might be able to see it. I mean, YouTube has a giant audience and more people would have access to this information. However, that is unfortunately impossible because of the quote unquote fact checkers that YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram rely on, they have decided that anything related to mRNA-based edible vaccines is categorically false, which means in practice that despite the fact that you have pork producers who are already using these vaccines without telling the public, you have consumers who have no idea because there are no transparency requirements. And when you try to look at the underlying research about the safety profile of these mRNA shots in livestock, well, the studies don't even exist. However, despite all that, it hasn't stopped outlets like USA Today and AFP from publishing fact checks like this one here, claiming that the entire thing is false and writing this, quote, in livestock, there are no mRNA vaccines that are used in the United States, said Jessica Gordon, a cattle veterinarian and associate professor at Michigan State University. Now, that is not accurate. Maybe it's not used in cattle, but she said it's not used in livestock, which is not true because it is used in pork, as we showed in this episode and part one. 
which is funny also, because if you read the USA Today fact check, it actually says something completely different. Quote, livestock are occasionally vaccinated with mRNA vaccines. And so already the fact checkers can't agree on whether or not some livestock is injected with this stuff or not. Regardless, let me read to you the second part of the USA Today fact check because it gets wild. Quote, while livestock are occasionally vaccinated with mRNA vaccines, no milk or meat is harvested from the animals until the vaccines have been metabolized. However, even though this is a quote-unquote fact check, that statement is based on pure presumption. They are assuming that all farmers who use these mRNA vaccines completely respect the withdrawal period. They wrote, quote, no milk or meat is harvested from the animals until the vaccines have been metabolized. How exactly do they know that? That is, of course, just a guess. Johnny, the farmer over in Wisconsin, he could be slaughtering his animals just three days after vaccinating them because he doesn't know any better or perhaps he doesn't even care. So for them to say it's not happening is just a total assumption. Furthermore, these fact checkers, they then resort to just an appeal to authority, saying that the experts they spoke to have reassured them that everything is fine. For instance, here's an excerpt from the AFP fact check, and here's what it says. Quote, there is no scientific basis for the claim that if someone was to consume meat or other tissues from an animal that had been vaccinated with an mRNA vaccine, it would enter the body, says Timothy Mahoney, a professorial research fellow at the Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation Center for Animal Science in Australia. He said, the digestive tract is designed to break down the large molecules in our food, including DNA, proteins, and carbohydrates, so we can absorb them. He also added, all of our food from living cells contain mRNA, so we consume them all the time. But if you think about that, that statement is also just a presumption. Because for one, if a farmer does not wait the appropriate 21-day period after vaccinating their animal, we know that these vaccine particles could enter the food supply, the milk or the meat. That's why there's a waiting period. And so right away, his claim is not totally accurate. And then furthermore, just because this so-called expert says something, that does not make it a fact check. As far as I can tell, and we check, there are no peer-reviewed studies looking into whether or not mRNA vaccines can pass from livestock into the meat or the milk. And so when he says there is, quote, no scientific basis for the claim that if someone was to consume meat or other tissues from an animal that had been vaccinated with an mRNA vaccine, it would enter the body, well, that might be true, but there's also no scientific basis that it doesn't enter the body. As far as I can tell, he is just guessing, or at the very least, he's giving his expert opinion, but it's not based on any scientific study. And if this was some random article, I wouldn't really care. But the problem is that big platforms like YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, they use these quote-unquote fact checks to judge whether something is true or not. And so we literally wouldn't be able to post this episode, even though everything here is true, just because some, I can only say, illogical fact check says that is false. That is the reality of the world we're living in, and that's exactly why we created Epic TV, a place where we can actually post this type of honest, fact-based content that we don't have to self-censor in order veterinary and human use. Team, through a vaccine platform, Well, Dr. Gilthorpe, it sounds like they are a lot further along than what the American people have any clue is coming. And for those of you who would like to hear the entire two-part series from Epoch TV, we will put the link in the show notes. I am indebted to the work of their research team who brought this to the public awareness. And I am very grateful that we have an opportunity to share their work with all of you. 
in hope that all of you will take this forward. Dr. Gilthorpe, your comments on this technology in the time we have left today. Uh, yes, Dr. Lee, it was very interesting. I wasn't aware that we were that far forward with the mRNA vaccination of animals either. Um, I can well understand that the uh, regulatory requirements for animals are much less than they are for humans, or at least were until COVID-19 came along, when it seems like we could wheel out any new medication under the fear of a deadly pandemic, and people would just, you know, be more or less forced to take them. Um, but I mean, it raises some very important points. I think, you know, this idea that, well, so if there is a requirement for these vaccines to not um, slaughter the animals and put them into the food chain for a certain period after they've received them, they know there's a risk uh, that there is a risk of transfer to humans. Otherwise, why would you, why would you have that requirement? Uh, so there must be a risk and that otherwise that that wouldn't be a stipulation. Uh, we well, know the other thing that we know from the COVID shots, the mRNA shots for COVID, is that the mRNA technology ended up triggering the production of spike proteins in the human body that are going on far longer than what anyone told the public at the beginning. I still see patients two years later who have skyrocketing antibody production of, uh, to the spike protein. So something is still going on in their body and the lipid nanoparticles can be very long lived and are distributed to all the endocrine organs. So to say that, that clearing have 21 days and slaughtering the animal after that means it's totally clear. No yeah. one knows. No. Nobody knows. It would be very nice to know what the level of side effects have been for the animals as well that have received these new products. Um, but it, it, if it's been going on since 2018, I think you mentioned, then you can see how, how quickly these mRNA products were rolled out on scale into, into the human population if, if already they were so advanced in animals. I mean, I... I suspect that Headley's mentioned this, that, uh, you know, Pfizer-BioNTech and um, Moderna didn't really manufacture these. It was Lomza and other uh, companies that manufactured for them. They just stuck a label on them, sold them, um, pretended that they'd manufactured them. And I suspect, therefore, that's where this manufacturing capacity comes from if they've already been making mRNA vaccines at scale for animals. Um, it'd be very interesting to dig into that. I, I haven't spent any time, so I'm just speculating now, but it, it, you know, the penny drops when you see that suddenly, oh, they've been producing these in animals for five years. Um, and suddenly they could, you know, create enormous amounts to vaccinate the global population of 7 billion people uh, at the drop of a pin. You know, that would be something to investigate further, perhaps you and Dr. Eden and Headley Reese would know where to look for yep. what indicators there are that perhaps that is something that they were doing surreptitiously and the public doesn't know. Yeah, sounds like a job for Sasha Latipova as well, Dr. Lee. I mean, she could probably tie these things together quite quickly. But um, 
I'm not sure how long we have left, just a minute or so maybe, but we I are think... at the end of today's yeah. show. So, so it just comes back to that last point we made about the Nuremberg Code being put in place to prevent people being experimented on without their knowledge. And that has to be a, a hard line in the sand for anyone. Uh, it does, Dr. Gail Thorpe, and thank you for bringing that back to the forefront as we close today. America and the world, the Nuremberg Code was put in place for a reason after the atrocities of World War II. We cannot stand by silently while the Nuremberg Code is overridden by every country that signed on to it after World War II. Help us stand against this evil assault on life. And we will be back again next week with another vaccine report and every day on the Whistleblower Report at whistleblowerreports.org, America Out Loud Talk Radio, CloudHub, and Rumble. Join us and sign up for our email alerts at www.truthforhealth.org. Let's get loud, let's get involved, and let's save lives and the health for all of us.